You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 153. What are your three takeaways, part two? Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, my friends. How are you? Are you loving October as much as I am? My family and I went for a drive to see the leaves today, and as we oohed and awed over the fall colors, I said to my husband, Ryan, I truly think October might be the most magical month of the year. The weather is perfect, and the changing trees are magical, and it's just such a fleeting time that it feels a little more special. It just feels like those leaves fall off way too soon, so there's this urgency to just savor it, and I love it. I love it all. I also love that October is the birthday month of 3 and 30, and as you know, we're celebrating hard this month with members of our community sharing their own three takeaways through social media and within their circles of friends. I have loved learning from you, and anyone who shares their takeaways will be entered to win an awesome care package from me which will include a simple notebook designed by me and Becky Higgins, my favorite chocolate candy bar, a pair of fabulous Madewell earrings, a lip liner and an eyeliner from Shine Cosmetics, a Votivo candle, and so much more. I love spoiling people for birthdays, and I want you to win one of these care packages and feel a little spoiled. For all the details on how to participate, you can go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash birthday. You may be thinking, but I have nothing to share. First of all, I don't believe that. (laughs) I think every single woman on this planet has wisdom to share. And second, today's episode is going to give you lots of ideas because it's a compilation of the three takeaways of 10 women from the 3 and 30 community. Their topics vary from letting your kids quit things without feeling guilty to enjoying physical intimacy more as a mom. And I wanted to give you a heads up about that one in case your kids are listening with you. I know you will walk away feeling so inspired by these amazing women. I do want to add that I know that hearing takeaways from 10 different women all in one episode is kind of a lot to digest and take in all at once. So I wanted to remind you that I always send out a PDF of all of the takeaways from the month to my weekly newsletter, and that will include all of the submissions from these My 3 and 30 episodes. So instead of feeling like you have to furiously take notes or getting overwhelmed by the amount of information... Just relax and listen and learn from these ladies and then make sure you're signed up for my newsletter so that you can get a hard copy of their takeaways and dive into them a bit further. You can sign up for that at 3in30podcast.com forward slash takeaways. To kick off this episode, we have an extra special My 3 and 30 shared by a mom who regularly listens to 3 and 30 and who helps to make 3 and 30 possible. Dr. Jennifer Zolman is the chair of the American Optometric Infancy and Children's Vision Committee, which I hope you know is sponsoring the podcast this month. Through this nonprofit program, Infancy, participating optometrists provide a comprehensive infant eye assessment for babies between the ages of 6 and 12 months at no cost, regardless of family income or insurance coverage. 
Dr. Zolman lives in Charleston, South Carolina, which coincidentally is where my assistant Molly is also living right now. And so Molly had the opportunity to take her baby Mackie to see Dr. Zolman for an infancy eye assessment earlier this month. And Molly told me it was amazing to see all of the techniques that an optometrist can use to assess a baby's vision, even without the baby being able to say a word. Molly said it was an amazing experience, and I'm planning to share some photos of Molly's visit on my Instagram this week, so stay tuned for that. Wherever you live, there's likely to be an infancy provider near you, and all you have to do to find one is go to infancy.org and enter your zip code. Then call them and tell them you want to schedule an infancy appointment for your baby. Dr. Zolman has so much to teach us about eye care for babies and school-aged children, so I asked her to submit three takeaways to help us learn more about this important topic, and I'm so honored to feature her as the first My 3 and 30 in this compilation episode. And then she'll be followed by nine other women from this community with incredibly varied and rich topics. I can't wait for you to hear from them. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, I am Dr. Jenny Zolman. I'm an optometrist and owner of the Drazen Vision Group in Charleston, South Carolina. I also serve as the chair of the American Optometric Infancy and Children's Vision Committee. My even more important job of all is that I'm lucky to be the mommy of three of my little loves, Lily, age seven, Addie, age five, and Grayson, age two. I'm here today because I want to give you my top three takeaways about infant and children's vision. My first takeaway is that early eye exams before age one help to get a baby's eyes ready for learning. They must be able to see their parents' faces to understand things like feelings and see their mouths and lips moving to learn to talk. Babies and children can't tell us that there's a vision problem or if they are only seeing out of one eye. The eye exam at 6 to 12 months of age can identify these abnormalities or risk factors that may prevent normal development of vision. Optometrists can use special lights and lenses to examine an infant or young child even before the child can read and respond verbally. Majority of infant and children's vision eye problems are treatable if caught early. So that early intervention is so important. My second takeaway is to do with children's vision. One of the most important things you can do for your child is to have a yearly comprehensive eye exam with your optometrist. The majority of vision problems are not observable by parents and can be asymptomatic. Many academic difficulties for school-aged children are linked to vision problems, but an eye exam is often overlooked in the battery of testing to determine the child's learning discrepancies. A comprehensive eye exam really should be one of the first things considered since vision is the way we bring information into our system and interpret what we consume. Despite how much children learn visually, Too often, parents are settling for vision screenings provided by the school nurses and pediatrician offices. While a simple visual acuity test to test the distance may be indicative of something is not right, only an in-person comprehensive eye exam can accurately address these issues in the clinical appropriate manner. My third and final takeaway is about digital device use for children, especially with all this distance learning that we are in currently. I recommend following the World Health Organization guidelines for age norms for the time limits on digital devices. But besides that, visually, kids need to take breaks from these devices. There is something called the 20-20-20 rule. That is, every 20 minutes on these devices, take 
20 seconds to look at something 20 feet away. This can be out a window. This can be down a hallway. Get outside as much as possible. This allows peripheral awareness, and this is a great break also from digital devices. So just to recap, number one, remember to get those baby's peepers checked between 6 to 12 months of age with an infancy exam. Number two, all school-age children should be getting comprehensive eye exams every year to help set them up for the best chances for academic success through vision and learning. And number three, limit the screen time, take breaks, and get outdoors. Thank you very much. Hey, Rachel. My name is Mary, and I live in Draper, Utah, and I have five kids, ages 15 down to seven-year-old twins. Over the years, we have quit a ton of different activities, and it has been great. In every instance, quitting has made our family happier, and I have no mom guilt about it. Here are my three tips on how to let your kids quit without feeling guilty. Number one, know what your top values are for your family. My daughter used to play the violin and she hated it. I tried fun practice games and rewards and different teachers even, and nothing worked. Getting her to practice was causing major drama in our home every single day. I grew up playing the violin and I loved it. So I thought having my daughter play the violin was worth the fight. But then I read this article about the importance of writing out your values and ideals as a mother to make sure that you're putting your limited time and energy into the things that actually mattered most to you. Genius, right? So I took some time and wrote out my list of top 10 values, and guess what? Having my daughter play the violin didn't even make the list. Having a peaceful home was right at the top. And despite my best efforts, violin was causing the exact opposite. So guess what? We quit. Number two, Try something else and remember there is more than one way to accomplish a goal. A lot of times we don't want to let our kids quit an activity because we think they won't learn hard work or perseverance and all the attributes that go along with it. But when I stopped and thought about it, I realized that my kids are learning those things in other ways. Family chores, going to school, and homework are just a few things that were already teaching my daughter those attributes. Practicing the violin or any instrument or activity does not hold a monopoly on teaching kids good life lessons. Having my daughter play the violin didn't make my top 10, but having kids appreciate music did. So I've tried to meet that goal in different ways. We tried different instruments. Piano was a total bust. And then we tried the ukulele and it's perfect. She loves it and practices every day, happily, I might add. And listening to her happy singing voice and strumming brings so much joy into our home. It is a total win-win. Violin and piano would have never done that for us. I also have playlists of my favorite classical music that I play in the car or around the house, which is a super easy way to expose my kids to music, minus the drama. Takeaway number three, don't compare your family to anyone else's. There is always some family where every child plays an instrument or they have a house full of comp team soccer players or whatever. From the outside, it looks amazing, and maybe it is for them, but every family is different. You know your family, you know yourself, you know what is working and what is not. Mothering is hard enough without trying to impress or please anyone outside your immediate family. So my three tips on how to let your child quit without feeling guilty about it are, one, know what your top values and goals are for your family. Two, Try something else, and remember there is more than one way to accomplish a goal. Number three, don't compare your family to anyone else's. Happy quitting!
Hello, my name is Alicia and I live in Colorado with my husband and five boys. Several years ago, our family made a significant shift towards healthier eating. It's made life better in so many surprising ways that I am passionate about helping others do the same. Today, I want to share how we make healthy food happen even and especially when life gets hard. Whether it's a new baby, kids still learning at home, a health challenge, or all of the above, our bodies need the most nourishment during these times when it's also the hardest to make it happen. So the first takeaway is to adopt the mindset of, I can do this one step at a time. We're bombarded with messages that food cannot be both healthy and convenient. And we all know how easy it is to say it's just too hard. I'll worry about that later. But deciding to make small forward progress can add up to big changes. Finding and celebrating just one little step in the right direction each day can build a lot of momentum over time. A new baby may not be the best time to make any big changes, but what can you do? Can you add some extra produce to your grocery order and eat more of it with your snacks and meals? The next takeaway is to invest a little time to learn. I know it can feel like the health information out there is so conflicting and confusing, but after many years, I found reliable information that's not just trustworthy, but really motivates me when life gets hard. For example, one study found that for each additional serving of fruits and vegetables a person ate per day, there was a correlating increase in feelings of calm, energy, and happiness. This increase in happiness happened with each serving, up to eight servings per day. Another study across 10 corporate workplaces found that a plant-focused diet significantly improved anxiety, depression, and productivity in as little as two weeks. So finding ways to eat more fruits and veggies can really increase everyone's capacity to deal with whatever life is throwing our way. My third takeaway is to create our own nourishing minimal meal plan. This is just a list of simple, healthy recipes made from ingredients that are easy to keep on hand. These are not only healthier and less expensive than the drive through but also super fast and easy. Some of ours are stir-fry, smoothie bowls, and instant pot soup. This is no time to beat yourself up over what you've been eating, but rather to give you another tool in your toolbox to help you strengthen yourself and your family through whatever life brings your way. Grab your free copy of my own minimal meal plan, along with tips for picky family members, resources for reliable health information, and many of our family's favorite healthy recipes at myplantstrongfamily.com. Rachel, thank you so much for all of your hard work to inspire uplift, teach, and connect us as we mother in these unprecedented times. Happy birthday, Rian30. Hey everyone, my name's Ariel and I live in Logan, Utah. I have three children ages four to three months old. I want to give three takeaways about how to find more joy and fulfillment in your sex life. When I first got married, I really struggled with this and I felt so alone. As I started to talk about sex with my friends and acquaintances, I realized that a lot of women struggle. Over the past several years, I've come to believe that women aren't living up to their privileges of joy and fulfillment in sex. I recently started an Instagram account with the handle at ladies.talkinglove to open up the conversation. I know this can be a sensitive topic, but I hope that you'll find something to help you in your sex life from my three takeaways. My first takeaway is to find ways to connect with your spouse or partner. When I first got married, I thought that sex was just about bodies. I've come to realize that sex is a culmination of the connection I feel on other levels of my relationship, emotional, physical, mental, spiritual. Some examples of how I connect with my partner 
are through non-sexual touch throughout the day, like hugs or kisses, a hand on my back. We share our dreams. And the way I feel most connected is to share the dark parts of me, the parts that I think he wouldn't love. And when he still does, I feel so much connection in our sex life. My second takeaway is to know your body. This has two parts. The first part is to know the names of your body. That includes your clitoris, your vulva, your vagina. Use those names and look at your body. Know where those parts are. The second part is to feel sensations in your body. As a woman, I haven't always been encouraged to focus on myself, but during sex, I've realized this is okay. When I focus on my body and the sensations I'm feeling, I'm allowing my husband to give to me. Some examples of how I practice this as a busy mom are to stop and feel the water on my body in the shower or to feel the touch of my child's hand in mine or to feel the wind on my face. My third takeaway is to change the definition of sex. I feel like sex needs a major definition makeover. I used to think of sex just as penetration, but that didn't really include me in the equation. I've started to try to think of sex in terms of pleasure, connection, closeness, warmth, tenderness, excitement, joy, laughter, trust. All of these things are included in sex. Most women don't actually reach orgasm only through penetration. So let's open up the definition and the power of the word sex to be more inclusive and joyful for all of us. Happy birthday, 3 and 30. Hi, my name's Sarah. I live here in Denver, Colorado with my two kids. And as a pretty not stressed out mom who's enjoying my journey through motherhood with two little kids, I took the time to sit down and think about why that is. And I came up with three things that I do not do. The first thing that I do not do is stress about screen time. I am all for screen-free childhoods and trying to reduce kids' screen time. I think that's research-backed and incredibly beneficial for them, but I see no use in stressing out if we have a day where they watch two movies in a row or more. It's a tool. Sometimes you need it more often than not, and if you have a bad day, just be better the next day. There's no need to stress about it. The second thing I do not do is force my kids to eat things they do not want to eat. There's an entire episode about getting rid of food battles on 3 and 30, and I've taken a lot from that. It's just, it's up to me to serve them healthy food. That is something I can put energy into, but I'm not going to put energy into forcing them to swallow it. It's not a fight I'm trying to have. The third thing I do not do is bath time. And this is for a couple reasons, and it might not necessarily look like bath time for everyone, but for me, it's an exercise in letting go of control, letting my husband control that part of the evening, and also giving him some authority in front of the kids. A lot of times dads can come in as just a helper to mom's plan, and by stepping back, he is the sole authority in their nighttime routine, and I think that's really important for them to see dad have that authority too. And it's also an exercise in taking time for me. It's a time to either quietly clean up the house by myself or just sit on my phone, whatever I need that day. And then I can come up and give them kisses when they're all fresh and clean. And it's a great end of the night for our family. So maybe bath time is your favorite time of day and you don't have to give that up, but I would encourage you to find a place where you can step back, let your partner have more control and take some time to let someone else be in charge and use that time for you. So those are the three things I do not do. 
and I would consider my life pretty low stressed and pretty happy. I would definitely try them today. So I don't stress about screen time. I don't force my kids to eat things they don't want to, even though I do serve healthy food, and I don't do bath time. Thank you. Hey, 3 and 30 listeners. My name is Lindsay, mom of two little ones, ages two and four, and I'm a fellow mom who loves this podcast to learn all things motherhood. I am also an interior designer turned stay-at-home mom, so I know all about the life of trying to create a well-designed home while having little ones. As a fellow mom of toddlers, I want to encourage you that your house does not need to be perfect to feel like home. Here are a few tips that I can share with you for creating a space that is beautiful as well as practical when it comes to having kids in the house. Takeaway number one, control the clutter, do not eliminate it. As we have learned, less is more when it comes to toys, even developmentally, but this is also true within your home. It is not about eliminating all toys, but it is about designing your home in a way that helps control the chaos. Examples of this in my home are lots of beautiful baskets and bins that look orderly on the outside, but where plenty of toys can be concealed. Inside every woven basket and underneath every knitted throw, you can bet that there's going to be a mess of toys inside. I also love built-in cabinets and bookshelves for the same reason. It creates a continuous clean look and you can hide all those plastic toys inside. They can get thrown in at cleanup time and get taken out at playtime. Takeaway number two, make practical purchases and be prepared. A great tip is buy stuff they can't destroy and that can't destroy them. It is all about making smart choices. Opt for a beautiful indoor-outdoor rug for your dining area that will clean up easily or for one with lots of pattern that can disguise those stains. And the second part of this takeaway is be prepared. Prepare for those spills. Invest in a good handheld carpet cleaner. That way, when the kids inevitably spill, it won't be the end of the world. I also recommend washable covers such as removable pillow covers, dining chairs, slip covers. All of those are great options. They are beautiful but can easily be removed and washed. This is how I get away with so much white in my home because most of it can be removed and washed regularly. The last takeaway is embrace this season and accept that your kids live here too. Embrace the imperfections and the dings and make it a part of your home story. One day you will remember those marks and it will spark special memories. Involving your kids on creating your home is also important. When they take ownership of the space, they are less likely to destroy it. And lastly, stop using your kids as an excuse for not having a space you love. Create beauty and grace in everyday living and embrace the season that you are in. Stop waiting and dreaming of a space that you love and just start creating it. I hope these takeaways help you start living the space you're in. If you're looking for more design tips and all things home from an everyday mom with a passion for design, I invite you over to my Instagram page at Everyday Grace Designs. Hi, I'm Rebecca Brownwright from Pause and Connect. I live in Salt Lake City and I have three children. My three takeaways are three ways to not yell. I came to my takeaways because I was a huge yeller and I hated it. My oldest child has ADHD and I found her behavior so challenging that I always resorted to yelling. I eventually found a wonderful therapist who taught me how to connect with my daughter rather than punish her and my yelling began to melt away. I researched this idea of connection instead of correction or control and developed my own five-step plan for all parents to learn how to stop yelling. These takeaways are a portion of what I teach. Takeaway number one is to challenge yourself to not see your child as naughty. We have these narratives in our society that children who disobey are being bad, but flip that. It's not true. 
Dr. Ross Green, author of The Explosive Child, teaches that children do well when they can. This is such a powerful concept because when you realize that children do well when they can, you see that your child's naughtiness is actually not naughtiness. Rather, your child is struggling and needs your help. Seeing your child as a child who wants to do well but can't right now gives you more compassion and puts you into an empathetic mode rather than a screaming angry mode. Takeaway number two is to hug your child when they're melting down or exploding. Seriously, if your child can handle the sensory feelings of a hug, run to them and connect when they're stomping their feet at you or crying or screaming. Don't punish, connect, give them a hug. Remember takeaway one, that children do well when they can. So when they're melting down, give them a hug. Don't criticize them or give them a consequence. Give them a hug and they'll calm down and want to cooperate with you once they know they are validated through that hug. You won't have to yell or punish. Takeaway number three is to schedule specific times for connection with your child into your week. This is kind of like insurance. You put in the time now in the good times so that when the bad times come up, you have a good relationship to fall back on. It doesn't have to be huge. You can just say every Tuesday at 7 p.m. we'll play for 15 minutes. Your child will light up, I promise you, and your connection will be strengthened. Frustrations that come up later will be so much easier to handle. And those are my three takeaways to help you yell us. To recap, takeaway one is to remind yourself that children do well when they can. Takeaway two is to hug your child when they're misbehaving or melting down. Takeaway three is to schedule meaningful times for connection. And that's it. I hope you find this helpful, and I hope you know that you're already such a wonderful mom. Hi. My name is Allie, and I live in Durham, North Carolina with my husband and one son. I'm excited to share three takeaways for getting more involved in your local nonprofit community. I've worked in nonprofits for the last four years, and I love the power that nonprofits have to make our communities and our nation better. And nonprofit involvement is such a great way for moms to make a difference and develop their interests and talents, whether they're working full-time outside the home, inside the home, or some of each. So my three takeaways for getting more involved in your local nonprofit community are first, examine your interests. Think about what gets your heart pumping or your blood rushing, for good or for bad. What can you not stop thinking about? What needs do you see that you'd like to help solve? Outside of your home, what do you care most about? Some research and self-reflection can help you identify which causes would be most meaningful for you to get involved in. Two, do your research. Chances are there's at least one organization in your area that's working on the cause you care most about. So find them and check them out. You can find them on Google, Facebook, or by asking community listservs, local schools, churches, or government offices. If there are multiple options, ask for a meeting with the leaders of the organization to find out where your contributions will be most effective and rewarding for you. Then pick one and get to work. That leads to number three, donate your time, talent, or treasure. Nonprofit organizations often depend on donations from individuals and the work of active volunteers to get their work done. You can give a one-time financial gift or set up a monthly donation. Similarly, you can volunteer for a one-time event like a blood drive or a book drive or for ongoing needs like tutoring. You could even ask about board openings. Nonprofits are governed by a board of directors, all volunteers who commit substantial time and resources to ensuring that the organization works toward fulfilling its mission. 
If there is an issue you really care about and an organization that's doing great work in that area, joining a board is a great way to make a real difference. So to wrap up, my three takeaways for getting more involved in your local nonprofit community are first, examine your interests, second, do your research, and third, donate your time, talent, or treasure. You may be surprised at how much you have to offer and how rewarding it can be. Hello everyone, my name is Laura. I live in South Carolina with my husband and two daughters, two and a half and five. I'm a registered nurse and I have my master's in nursing education. I just love this podcast. Thank you, Rachel, for all you do to support this walk through motherhood. My three takeaways are to help the mom struggling with a chronic condition. This might be anxiety, depression, migraines, chronic pain, or anything else more specific. I was diagnosed with a nervous system disorder after I had my second daughter, and it completely shook my world. Through my journey, I have learned to listen, act, and move, which are my three takeaways today. First of all, listen. Our bodies are smart and are designed to signal when something isn't right. Sometimes our symptoms are the body's way of catching our attention. Our jobs as moms is to look outward to others, and it is easy to forget to look inward. What is your body trying to tell you? Do you need to slow down, step back from obligations? Are you overworked or overcommitted? Are you getting enough rest, eating right? Is there an area in your life that is causing tension that needs to be addressed, like relationships, work environment, family dynamics? Good stress can also fall in this category when we are overextended in our lives. My second takeaway is to act. Once we take the time to slow down and listen to our bodies, we are able to acknowledge there is a problem and start working towards getting help. Be proactive. Seek out medical help and get all the information you can about your condition. Or maybe you need counseling to help work through some stressful areas of your life. We weren't created to do it all, so ask for help and admit that you need some support from friends and family. My last takeaway is to move. Not only can exercise prevent health conditions, it can also help you cope with current illness. This might be the last thing you feel like doing, and believe me, I've been there. But just get up and start moving. Start small, like a 10-minute walk or get up and chase after your kids. Anything to get the body moving. Small steps create big changes, and as you start, you will gain momentum and start making progress as your body gets stronger. This also refers to mental activities like rediscovering hobbies, reading, connecting with others, journaling. Take time to fill your cup to give you the ability to manage life with a chronic illness. So just to recap, first, take time to listen to what your body is trying to tell you. Second is to act, get help and find resources and tools that help you cope. And third is to start moving your body and mind. Make time for things that fuel you and remove things that drain you. Thank you and happy birthday, 3 and 30. Hey there, I'm Melissa from Farmington, Utah, and I have four children. I'm the holiday enthusiast behind SoFestive.com, where I love sharing simple ideas to help you create fun holiday memories with your family. Christmas will be here before you know it, so today I want to share three of our favorite simple Christmas traditions that will help you have a more meaningful Christmas season. The first tradition that I want to share is the 12 days of Christmas. 
There's so many people who could use a little extra cheer at Christmas time, and giving the 12 days of Christmas is one of our favorite ways to do this. We love spreading joy to someone in need, and our kids think it's so fun to deliver gifts anonymously. Now, before you get stressed about coming up with ideas, don't worry. I already have made tons of different 12 days of Christmas versions. Um, I have tons of tags and gift ideas over at SoFestive.com if you don't want to come up with your own. Our second favorite simple Christmas tradition is a Christmas book advent calendar. Chances are you probably have stacks of Christmas books in your home. And if you're like us, it's sometimes hard to find the time to sit down and read them all. One simple tradition that has remedied this is our Christmas book countdown. We gather our favorite 24 Christmas books and we wrap them all up before December 1st. Each night, we let our kids take turns opening one book and we cuddle up by the Christmas tree and read that book together. Kids will not only love getting to open Christmas presents (laughs) before Christmas, but it's a really great way to slow down and just enjoy being together. If you're looking for a new book to add to your Christmas book collection, I invite you to check out my new book called See Christ in Christmas, a beautifully illustrated hardcover book about the 12 symbols of Christmas. You can find more details at shop.sofestive.com. And our third takeaway today for a more meaningful Christmas season is to focus on feelings. We learned years ago that it wasn't the amount of gifts or keeping up with all the traditions that made our Christmas season meaningful. It was the feelings of being together no matter what we were doing. There's a lot of pressure to do all the things, but if you can focus on feelings of peace, calm, and joy, and let go of all the expectations, you'll have a much happier Christmas season. I hope these takeaways help you have a more meaningful Christmas season this year with your family. That's it, my friends, and weren't they amazing? The moms in this community have so much goodness to share, and I hope this got you thinking of your own three takeaways that you could share on any topic that affects mothers. Just a quick reminder that I'll send out a recap of all of those takeaways to my email list, so get signed up at 3in30podcast.com slash takeaways, and if a particular segment in this episode jumped out at you as something you really need to learn more about... I wanted to let you know that I did really detailed show notes for this episode. I included links to additional 3 and 30 episodes that might help with every one of these topics. And those links are in the show notes, which you can always find in your podcast app or on my website. So if there was something in particular that stood out to you as really meaningful or timely for your life, go dive in and learn more. Friends, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being a part of this community and for loving your children so well. Enjoy October with them, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.